In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regamelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you ate and when you drank, did you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words of the Lord? Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you for gathering us here together as your children. And thank you. Uh, for your presence here among us. May we have ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to each one of us. We love you. Amen. So uh, why this passage on fasting from Zechariah? It's because today what we're doing is we're kicking off uh, the Lenten season. Lent doesn't actually begin until Ash Wednesday, this coming Wednesday. But we wanted to take some time to talk about Lent today. Now, if you're new, typically what we do is we march through the scriptures and we dive into passages and, and, and break it apart and see what that passage has to offer us. But every great once in a while, we'll do what's called a topical message, where you take a topic and you talk about it from the scriptures, from all over the scriptures. And that's what we're doing today with Lent. Because if you do a keyword search for Lent in the Bible, you're not going to find it. It's not there. So I wanted to just talk about the history of Lent briefly and why we as a church like to observe Lent. So here's a little bit about where Lent comes from. As early as the second century, many Christians observed several days of fasting as part of that preparation. Oh, and I should pause there. The preparation they're talking about is early Christians felt that Easter was such a monumentous day that in order to prepare for it, they should fast in order to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus well, they should, they should have some days in preparation leading up to it. Over the next few centuries, perhaps in remembrance of Jesus fasting for 40 days in the wilderness in Matthew 4, 40 days has become the accepted length of the Lenten season. But what's also interesting about the early church is that something that you would never do is you never fasted on resurrection day. Does anyone know when resurrection day is? Sunday, you, don't, you, you can't. That's, that's celebration day. That's when you gather together with everybody and you have a party. We, you don't fast on that day. So 40 days of Lent is starting this Ash Wednesday up until Easter, skipping every Sunday. Okay, that's what Lent is. Well, we call it the 40 days of Lent. Now, what is Lent? Lent is 40 days of prayer and fasting. It's, it's really, it's, it's simple. Now, I think what's interesting about the history of Lent is that in the Protestant Reformation, which I'm very grateful for, uh, there was a movement to reject as many things that were Catholic and tradition as possible. And Lent was a part of that that was thrown out. But Lent isn't particularly Catholic. Lent is particularly Christian. It is a tradition that has been a part of the Christian family and tradition from, I mean, the, the years 100 and on. It's an early, early practice. And the reason why I think it's really good for us to pause 
and practice Lent is because we have bought into um, something that the world, the Western world in particular, really believes is that education is the silver bullet. If we just know enough, we'll figure it out. If we can just educate enough people, we'll do the right thing. But as all of us know, knowing what the right thing to do and doing the right thing are not the same. You see, we don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our systems. We can, we can have these great aspirations, but when the rubber hits the road and it's 11 p.m. at night, I know I'm not the only one standing in the kitchen eating some chips. There's a few of us guilty of this. Should I be eating chips at 11 p.m. at night? No. Who's saying yes? You know it's not. Stop it. But we all know. We all know it. We all know it. And this is true with our walk with Jesus. Imagine, this is an old analogy I'm stealing from Francis Chan, but I love it. Imagine if I told my daughter, Eden, clean your room. Eden, go clean your room. And an hour later, I check in and the room's just filthy. And I go, huh, Eden, yeah, dad. I asked you to clean your room, dad. I memorized what you said. Okay, thank you. And I invited some friends over and we talked about what you said. And it was a really good time. That's great, Eden. Can you please go clean your room? And I wonder how often that's our relationship to Jesus. Go clean your room. I, I memorized that, Jesus. It's in my head now. You see, what happens is a massive part of becoming like Jesus is living like Jesus. It's not just knowing what he did, knowing what he said but it's doing the things that he did. And so when we're talking about Lent, what we're actually doing is we're talking about a season of time where we're standing against this Western frenetic culture that doesn't make space for prayer or for fasting. And we're saying we're gonna step into this. So why prayer and fasting? We step into prayer and fasting because these are things that Jesus stepped into. So we're going to look at them each on their own. So let's go ahead and start with fasting. Jesus fasted from food for 40 days. Uh, this is Luke 4, 1 through 2. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Jesus fasted. And also, Jesus didn't just set an example of fasting for us, but he also had an expectation of fasting from his disciples. This is Matthew 6, uh, 16. And when you fast, does it say if you fast? When you fast, this is how you do it. And he even foretold that his followers would fast. This is Mark chapter 2, verse 20. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. Is Jesus' body here with us now? The spirit of Jesus is with us. 
but the bridegroom is gone. He's coming again one day to make all things new, and we look forward to that day. And until that day, fasting is a part of what we do because Jesus did it. So what is fasting? Glad you asked. Perfect. I've got something to talk about for five minutes. Biblically, when the Bible is talking about fasting, it's talking about not eating food. There's no examples of like, you know, I think I'm going to fast from playing the harp for a month. It's just becoming like an idol for me. That's not in the Bible. Or like, I'm not using a plow. It's just, it's modern technology. It's too much. I'm just going to do it the good old, just back work, lower back. When the Bible is talking about fasting, it's talking about fasting from food. And I think part of the reason, if you're in this room and you've got a distaste for Lent in your mouth, I think a part of that is because many of us have experienced really poor examples of observing Lent. Where Lent is like, well, some, sometimes people are just silly with it. Like, I'm giving up lentils for Lent. You're like, when do you, <laughs> you don't eat lentils? What do you, or like, you know, I've, I've really, I think I'm eating too much candy, so I'm going to give up chocolate for Lent. Not all candy, just one, right? I, and it becomes this, like, I'm going to, I've been meaning to do some, like, self-improvement, and so I'm going to use this opportunity with Jesus to do some self-improvement. And that doesn't, that feels like mixed motivation, right? That's like when, a, when your friend you haven't talked to for like 15 years from high school reaches out and you're like, hi, how are you? Like, can we get together? Sure, I'd love to connect. And then he goes, are you happy in your job? And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's mixed motives. It's mixed motives. With, with Lent, um, I think actually doing non-food fasts is, is actually okay. It offers us an opportunity to have a longer fast than we would be able to with food. Um, and particularly if you're in a place in life where food fasting isn't right for you, let's say you're a nursing mother or you've got a really um, physically demanding job, that's okay. Don't beat yourself up over the head. The goal of a fast is to create a deep hunger within you, a hunger that you normally meet with the products of the world a hunger that you meet with earthly things. And it's in that place of hunger then that you go and you meet Jesus. That's the purpose of a fast. And also, it doesn't, you know, Lent is a 40-day season. It's a long time. Actually fasting from food that entire time would be really, really challenging on anybody. But maybe you pick a day that you always fast during the next few weeks or a couple days, or a meal, or something. You create a rhythm. And maybe on those days you're fasting, that's when you go to the prayer room. There's lots of ways to work with this. And by the way, if you're doing something and it's not working, switch it up. This, this, is, this isn't about religion. This isn't about checking a box. This is about pursuing Jesus and becoming more like him. Yeah. Um, and by the way, part of the reason I'm talking about this, how you practice it is just as important, if not more important, than just doing it. You get you, This passage we just read here in Zechariah, I want to throw up a couple verses on the screen. First in the ESV, um, it says this, when you fasted and mourned on the fifth month and the seventh, these 70 years, they're fasting because they want to return to Jerusalem. They're in exile. Was it for me that you fasted, the Lord says to Israel? 
And when you eat and when you drink, because they're also celebrating the feasts, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Fasting or feasting, what are we doing it for? Are we doing it for the Lord? Are we doing it for Jesus? Um, oh, and here is, uh, I just, I really appreciate Eugene Peterson's take on the Bible from time to time. I think he brings it into American English. So let's look at uh, his take on these same verses. When you held days of fasting every fifth and seventh months, all these 70 years, were you doing it for me? And when you held feasts, was that for me? Hardly. You're interested in religion. I'm interested in people. That's fun. Here's Isaiah 58, also um, from Eugene Peterson's The Message. The bottom line on your, quote, fast days is profit. You drive your employees too hard. You fast, but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean, mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of day of fasting I'm after? A day to show off humility? To put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting? A fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after to break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You will call out for help. And I'll say, here I am. The purpose of fasting isn't just abstention from food. It's about leaning in to God's purposes for our lives and for our world. What you see, because a part of what happens when we fast is God reveals idols in our lives. It's one of the first things that happens. And when we have idols in our lives, that's, that's something we need to deal with. And we all do. We all do. So that's why we fast. This is what Jesus did, and this is what he expected his followers to do. And as disciples of Jesus, we take up his mantle. We do what he did. We follow in his steps. That's why we fast, and it's also why we pray. Jesus prayed all the time. If there was anyone who was all ever like, no, I'm, I'm good, man. I just talk to God when I need to. It was him. Like, he, he's God. But he would go by himself to pray regularly. And, like, think about the differences of things that he would pray for. He would ask for direction for what to do next. This is Mark 1, 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were there with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. The preface to this story is he's just healed the entire village on the front door of Peter's mother-in-law's house. 
and everybody's amped. This is the best night ever. And they wake up, and Jesus is gone. Can you imagine you lost Jesus? You're like, oh no, where'd he go? He had gone off to pray. And they said, hey, everyone's looking for you. Why? Because the incredible night they just had. And he woke up early in the morning, away from all that, and prayed. And says, we need to go on to other towns as well. What about this? What about Luke 6? In these days, he went to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Have you prayed all night long? And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Before the 12 were chosen, he stayed up all night in prayer. What about for deliverance and strength? This is Luke 22. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Do you pray out of desperate need? Also, Jesus prayed to recenter away from the crowds and the work and the popularity. This is Luke 5, 15. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So Jesus amped up his ministry, and he made, instead of 12, he made 48 disciples, and he Oh, wait, no. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Why pray? Because this is what Jesus did. Lent is a season where we can dedicate ourselves to these two practices of Jesus in our lives and put a pause on all the drive that culture is demanding of us to go, 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 next, next, next. I, if you don't know me very well, I grew up overseas in Eastern Europe, and I remember as a kid, every time we'd come to the States, it would just feel like life was on fast forward. It was just, it's just, oh, it's quick, oh, it's quick. Where's the time to fast? Who's got time to fast? Who's got time to pray? We're all, we all act like victims of our own calendars. This is an opportunity to say, I'm going to do things differently for a season because I want to grow into the image of him who made me. I want to be transformed into his likeness. These, these prayers of Jesus, to me, are such an invitation to that prayer room at Countryside during these next 40 days to take an hour of the day and pray. Man. And by the way, I know sometimes um, prayer can be challenging or it can be, um, feel like I'm not hearing anything. Um, there's a wonderful book called Present Perfect about just being aware of the presence of God or... Um, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence is another good one. 
Um, and I love this quote from Greg Boyd about the presence of God. Don't try to feel his presence. Don't try to do anything at all. Simply be mindful of the fact that you are in this present moment submerged in the ocean of God's love. Right now. That is true of each of us. Prayer is a conversation with him who made us. And conversation flows, lulls, erupts, ponders. Let your prayer be all of that. Step into all of that this season. And may our hunger guide us towards a daily awareness of the presence of God in our lives. So three outcomes. I don't normally do three-point sermons, but here we go. Three outcomes of prayer in our lives. Number one is we draw near to God. As we fast and as we pray, we draw near to God. This is what James 4.8 says. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Wonderful. Lord, if Lent still seems it's too traditional to all that, totally fine. Just say, Lord, the next 40 days are dedicated to you. I want to celebrate Easter well. I don't want Easter to sneak up on me. I want to be present and aware and fully alive and not living life on fast forward. I want to be present to you, Lord. Draw near to God. Here's a promise of God. He will draw near to you. And then it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Why would it say that? Because the more we draw near to God, the more we see our own depravity. And that's the second thing that happens when we fast and we pray. We become aware of depravity. This is uh, from Ezekiel 14, 4. Thus says the Lord God, anyone of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with a multitude of his idols that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are all estranged from me through their idols. There is tension in this relationship between the elders of Israel and Yahweh because of the idols that are in their heart that have estranged them from Yahweh. And Yahweh says, even as they're taking their idols, just imagine the idols that they're carrying and they're coming to the prophet to hear from God. He says, even with all those idols, I, the Lord, will answer him. That's our God. This isn't a, be sure you don't have any idols left in your life before you come in prayer. It's come with the mess. Show, just show up, show up. And he will draw near to you. And as we're fasting and praying and God's revealing these idols in our hearts, he's also going to be revealing idols in our culture, in our family, in our world. And we become aware of all the things that are not the way he would have them because we're drawing closer and closer to him. And seeing those idols is the first step 
and laying them down. The third outcome is blessing and answered prayer. Now, this is not the cosmic slot machine. This is not the formula to get blessing and answered prayer. This is doing the very basic, simple steps of living the way Jesus lived and becoming more like him and drawing near to him. And as we do, our very prayers and desires are transformed. This is Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. There's two ways to take this. One, you say, yay, Jesus! Now, give me the new car. I'm here. Give me. Or, or, genuine, pure delight. I've got three kids, and the youngest is Amos. And he's four months old, almost five. And he's so funny, because this is him most of the time. Just kind of scowling. And then he locks onto a face. <laughs> he, you could be a total stranger. Please don't take my baby. But he, like, he, like, he's, he's fine with everybody. He just like sees a face and just erupts. It's the best part of his day. It's the best part of his day. That's not true. Eating is probably the best part of his day. Scratch that from the record. We delight in Lord, in the Lord, and instead of fulfilling our earthly desires, he actually gives us new ones. He gives us the desires. He gives us new desires. John 15, 7 through 8. This is Jesus, the Last Supper. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. This isn't about, this isn't a competition. This, I remember the first year we practiced Lent. It's okay, this person's not here anymore, so I can say this. I, I, uh, you know, oh, what are you, are you going to fast from something for Lent, Daniel? Yeah, what are you going to fast from? Well, I, uh, I'm not going to eat after 8 p.m., and then I'm not going to eat again the next morning until noon. And he goes, oh, well, that, I do that every day. I was like, I feel so good. Thanks for that. It's, it's not a competition. It's, it's not. Do whatever you need to do to create hunger in you every day, moment by moment, for the one who made you. Dedicate yourself to him, to his work in your life, to his work in your family in this world. Yeah. And as we do these things, as we draw near to the Lord, as we delight ourselves in the Lord, as we, as we do all this, our prayers begin to mirror Jesus' prayer at Gethsemane. Not my will but yours be done. Not my will, but yours. So, this is just a long announcement for Lent. <laughs> I want to invite you, come this Wednesday, this Wednesday night, 7 p.m., and kick off Lent with not just orchards, but another church. 
Let's, let's kick off this season together. I want to invite you, step into praying and fasting in this season. Not to check a box, not because of peer pressure, because people in your community group are going to be like, what are you fasting from? That's okay. Do it for the Lord. Do it for Him. Dedicate yourself 